Hello again friends. Today we continue our review of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and we're looking at verse 2, the second part of verse 2. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. And I'm going to use an object lesson from my gardening today to share with you. For the umpteenth time, I remember passing the desert rose in the flower pot where it had been tucked away in the far side of my alcove for maybe the past six months or so. It's not like this plant was in my immediate view or anything, but I couldn't help noticing, friends, when I tended to it, that it looked exactly the same as the last time. So I made a mental note to pass by it every single time I walked through the alcove. For the past, I'd say a year or so, I decided to seriously try my hand at gardening. Uh, this may come as a surprise to some people because I think everybody is always admiring my flowers. But what folks didn't know was that my garden's growth had everything to do with a spontaneous reaction to water and air and, and sunlight and little or nothing to do with my intervention. <laughs> In any event, I started to invest a lot of time with my plants. So back to what I was telling you about my desert rose. As I, share, as I shared, um, the leaves hadn't wilted and, and they hadn't turned yellow, so I knew it wasn't dying. But I couldn't understand its inability to sprout a single leaf in weeks, despite my overtures of plant affection. So, one day, I thought, maybe I should change the pot or the soil it was in, you know, give it a new environment. So, um, I loving dug around the sides of it, easing the earth away, you know, ever so gently, so I wouldn't damage its roots when I got to it. And then, friends, after about five minutes, it became, you know, it came free. But to my shock and horror, I realized that at the base of the desert rose, there was um, a, a gaping hole that went up about an inch or so into the stem of the plant. There was absolutely no roots nothing zilch and as i as i knelt there staring in disbelief at the condition of the plant and thinking about the weeks i spent watering it nurturing it talking to it investing my time in it i was immediately reminded of two texts the first one was luke 13 uh, I think somewhere in verse 6. And also this text in Ecclesiastes. But let me start by sharing with you a little about Luke 13. And I'm reading from verse 6. It says, Then he said, then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years, three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? You know, it was kind of much the same way I felt about my plant. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. 
And then I thought about it and I said, well, since parables are, you know, fictional stories that convey a truth, I'd have to understand the symbolisms here and, you know, the deeper meanings. The text says that the vineyard's owner came looking to the fig tree for fruit. And what did he find? Only leaves. Well, the tree appeared healthy enough to bear fruit. So it's not that it couldn't bear fruit. It just wasn't bearing fruit. So let's take a moment to understand this parable. Okay? A man, it says a man or, or the vineyard owner. This is intended to represent God. God plants the vineyard. The vineyard represents Israel. How do I know that? Let's look at it together in Isaiah chapter 5, reading from verse 1. It says, I will sing for the one I love about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked to it for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not even to rain on it. And here it is in verse 7, friends. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. So the vineyard represents Israel, and that owner is God himself. You can also read through Psalm 80, verse 8 to 16, to see the same explanation. What's a fig tree? The fig tree depicts the spiritual um, or the religious leaders of Israel, like the priests, the Levites, the Pharisees. It also represented the spiritual health of Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, when Israel was doing well spiritually, the metaphor that is used was that of a, a productive fig tree. And you can, you can read about that in 1 Kings 4 verses 25 and also in Zechariah 3 and verse 10. So in times of spiritual depravity, the tree or the fig tree is barren. But in the times of spiritual, how would I say, health and buoyancy, it is depicted as a productive fig tree. So it's all about the spiritual condition, okay? The gardener or the vine dresser or husbandman is Jesus as Messiah. Do you realize the husbandman, the vine dresser, that Jesus does not advocate for the destruction of the tree right away? Mm-mm. Just like the husbandman in the parable who asks to be given one more year to tend to the fig tree, Jesus wants to encourage repentance and he's patient, but there will still be that one day that judgment for those who do not produce fruit will occur. 
And you can see that in Matthew 13, verses 24 to 34, in that parable of the weeds, where the weed, weed, weeds and, and, and the good, good plant grow together until that day of harvest or that day of judgment. So it seems then, friend, in this parable, that it's really looking at the religious state or the, religious, of the state of the religious leaders or, or, the, or, or the religious health of God's people who's not producing the fruit that's expected of them, all right? But the vineyard owner gave four years, three years, he kept coming to the fig tree and he extended one more year for that fig tree to bear fruit or be cut down. Sadly, Israel was cut down as God's people in AD 34 when they, you know, they stoned Stephen. And in AD 70, you'll remember Jerusalem and the temple were, were destroyed. But as I'm, you know, as I'm talking through this, you know, I, I'm, I have to remember that although Israel was cut down, its roots were not destroyed and the Gentiles were grafted into the stump of Israel. Okay, so you and I have been grafted into the stump of Israel and you can look at Romans 11, 17 to 24 and Importantly, let us remember though, that even though we are grafted into the stump of Israel, it's nothing for us to boast about because that text in Romans 11, it tells us that if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, oh boy, I'm a wild olive shoot, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, that may be true, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith, do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Wow. Wow. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Verse 22. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they, that's talking about the, those who were cut off, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will also be grafted back in. For God is able to graft them in again. Wow, God is truly a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And, and so when I thought about Jesus advocating for us and the fig tree being given one more year, I thought, well, shouldn't I also give my plant one more chance? So friends, I gave that desert rose a stern admonition turned over the soil and replanted it and today my desert rose has new leaves and new buds a miracle happened somewhere in the darkness of that sod i don't know what it is but it's blooming but friends that's just part of the story now i want to turn your attention to the second text i thought about and which i want to share with you really today Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 2. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. 
I shared with you in the last episode, if you have not gotten a chance to look at the last episode, please go on the blog and, you know, on the podcast, sorry, and listen to it. I shared with you that in January of 2020, when I really read through this passage, it struck me that in this particular prose, every action called for an equal and opposite reaction, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. All were a series of opposites. And I remember casually asking my husband, I said, Greg, what's the opposite of planting? And without hesitation, he said, reaping. I said, you're right. But I'm reading this text and it's not telling me about reaping. It says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. So what's the writer intimating? What is he implying? Friends, I've learned in the stillness that there is truly a time to plant, to cultivate with vigor and energy, with purpose and passion. But friends, not all seeds, not all seedlings will reach fruition. Not all will bear fruit. Not all will, will reach to maturity for harvesting. So the question is, what do you do when you've determined that despite all your best efforts, it, whatever it is to you, it may never reach that expected end? What do you do when you have planted all the love and time and effort into nurturing that relationship. But the reality is, it's going nowhere. And your spouse, your partner, your child, maybe a parent, your friend, just can't see your worth or the worth of the relationship. And all you have left is a plant that I guess um, from the outside appears to be firmly grounded, but On closer inspection, at the heart of it is a gaping wound, a living, dead plant. Hmm. The writer wants us to understand that, that in this cycle of life's experience, there comes a time when we must give up and let go. And so that season of plucking up that which was planted may really be an exercise in giving up or, or bringing to closure and or changing course. Friends, we all know giving up is hard. But giving up doesn't mean, or it, doesn't, it doesn't have to mean we're defeated. It means we have the godly wisdom to know when we are at a point of enough. Letting go. And walking away is hard. But it doesn't mean... 
we have failed. It just means we are opening up our hearts to a truly greater and more fulfilling experience. That's all. You know, now that I think about it, I'm reminded of the Gospel Commission in Matthew 10 when, when Jesus was preparing to send his disciples out in the mission field. And he, you know, Jesus had called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And he says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it was their season for planting the word. Jesus said, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. And then in verse, uh, I think it's about verse 14 or thereabout, Jesus issues a very, very clear instruction. He says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart of, out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Interesting. Friends, shaking the dust off one's feet really conveys the same idea as what we'd say in modern language. I've washed my hands clean of it. Or, I'm done. <laughs> shaking the dust off the feet um, it really is a, is a symbolic indication that someone has done all that can be done in a situation and therefore carries no further responsibility for it, you know. Jesus was really telling his disciples that they were to preach the gospel to everyone with fervor. In other words, give it all you've got. You know, where they were accepted or received with joy, they should stay and teach. But where their message was rejected, where there was no appreciation for the word, they had no further responsibility. They were free to walk away with a clear conscience, knowing that they had done all they could. Shaking the dust off their feet was in effect saying that those who rejected God's truth would not be allowed to hinder the furtherance of the gospel. Friends, there are situations in our lives where God calls us to stand firm, proclaim truth, and give patient testimony that is the time to cultivate with vigor and energy and sometimes we need to continue until we see the results of that testimony other times God gives us the freedom to move on and for our peace of mind we need to move on friends are you stuck in a never-ending cycle of watering a toxic situation Hmm? pruning a problem and replanting a remorse. There's a time to acknowledge that our efforts have run their course, that we have reached limits beyond our control, that we have extended that proverbial year and it becomes time to pluck up that which was planted. As difficult hmm, as, difficult as it is to accept the end of the growing season. The author of Ecclesiastes invites us to embrace this experience as an important part of the journey. Friends, God bless you on your journey. <music>